Hey kids, Mandy here, and I wanted to personally invite you to join me for Cincinnati Song Initiative's first ever Fellowship of the Song, happening May 20th through 25th. In addition to a week full of amazing concerts, song workshops, and classes, I'll be leading some seriously fun study events on heartwarming topics such as murder ballads and exploring death through music and poetry. Should be a great time! (laughs) You can participate as an auditor, whether you come to Cincinnati in person or join remotely from your comfiest couch. And the best part is that all the week's events will be recorded for unlimited viewing through June 26th. So, what are you waiting for? Head to cincinnatisonginitiative.org forward slash audit to learn more about this groundbreaking new program for song. And I hope to see you in person or online. And welcome to Follow the Leader with me, your host, Mandy Madrid Sikich. I know, you thought this podcast was never coming back, but you were wrong. Ha <laughs> ha! I think it's been a year since my last episode, but hey, great content requires great amounts of time. Few housekeeping things. If you are a fan of the podcast, remember to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, all the usual places. But I guess if you're listening to this, you probably know where to find us. And please, if you like what we are doing on the podcast, tell your friends. And if you don't, then tell your enemies. Because as I like to say, any publicity is good publicity. If you are a singer and are looking for accompaniments to rehearse with, check out my YouTube channel. You can find me there as Mandy Madrid Sikich. I post new accompaniments on my channel weekly, and I even take requests. Also, since our last show, I started a website. You can find me at leadernerd.org. That's L-I-E-D-E-R-N-E-R-D.org. That's kind of home base for all sorts of cool leadery things. I post episodes of my video series, Leader School, over there. And you can also find my translations library and lots of other cool things. I think that's it for housekeeping. I am really excited to have a new guest with me for today's show. Chelsea Willett is my longtime friend. I actually don't even know how long I've known you for. Do you remember the first year we met? I honestly think it's probably been like 15 or 16 years now. It's been a long time. Maybe longer. So Chelsea, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, I'm an artist, graphic designer. I spend most of my time creating. I like connecting with people. I love sharing my love for the earth and humanity. And I'm excited to get into the topic today. Let's do it. Today, we are going to cover Felix Mendelssohn's Andres Mayenlied, Hexenlied Opus 8. But to do that, we need to take a little detour first. It's a common thing. Happens every year, depending on what part of the world you're in. Fall comes around, and what do we start to see? The usual autumnal decorations, wreaths with colored leaves, pumpkins, cute fuzzy bats, and typically a broomstick or two. It's that last one that interests me, the imagery and concept of witches and witchcraft. 
As often happens, my curiosity got the better of me and I decided to dive into this topic. Where do witches come from? Why do they hang out with black cats? Why are they ugly? Why do they eat children? And why the heck do they ride broomsticks? Now, obviously, I know these are all very stereotypical ideas, which is why I'd like to get to the bottom of some of them. And I promise that as we do, we will, in fact, return to leader. Uh, before we really get into this topic, though, um, so many of the stereotypes that I mentioned above have been grossly misconstrued elements or have been untruths propagated at the expense of human lives. It's so important to understand that there is a very beautiful ideology that many have adhered to today and throughout history. Those who practice witchcraft or Wicca or other pagan practices often are great caretakers of the earth and very in tune with nature and its healing energies. So I wish to bring some clarity to the issue and to bring more awareness to the fact that there was real harm done to large groups of humans throughout history because of the misunderstanding and hysteria around this subject. Since early recorded history, there has been mention of women who practiced magic. Should that be magic spelled with a CK? That's an original spelling, but you can spell it either way. I spell it with a CK because it is... An, a very early original spelling of magic. For me, mm -hmm. I'm not bothered by either spelling. I hope no one is either, but you never know. So prior to the crazes of witch hunting, both in Europe and in the U.S., magic was simply understood to be folk knowledge that was passed from one generation to the next. Not only was it folk knowledge, but even it, it was an understanding of, of plant medicine and herbs and just being in tune with nature. Which was useful, right? A really useful thing. But there were great shifts happening in Europe from the 1400s to the 1600s. With the rise of scholasticism and of Christianity and Christian states came an obsession with quote-unquote divine order. At this time, marginalized or atypical women were often thought to be suspicious since they seemed to be aberrations in this divine order. A woman was suspicious if she was a healer, or she was strange if she did not practice religion, or if she was widowed or unmarried. Too independent, too poor, too rich, too fill-in-the-blank here. So one of the words that I've seen used for this, which is actually probably the most upsetting word, is they have said that any woman um, considered quarrelsome or difficult were can were thrown into the witch pile and difficult could literally be saying no like it could be the most basic way of a woman just being a human they were considered difficult makes me angry <laughs> makes me very angry <laughs> like i gotta hold it together but like it makes me really angry then with the publication of a text called malleus maleficarum True hysteria took over. This text and other witch hunting texts are responsible for so many of the terrible stereotypes. Malleus Maleficarum was truly harmful and a deceptive depiction. The text describes, and here I'm quoting from Wikipedia, it describes how young girls are gang raped and then forced into witchcraft, how witches boil infants in soup pots, and how witches engage in nighttime orgies with the devil. The obsession with witches' sexual relations with the devil are of particular salacious interest. 
The Malleus Maleficarum sought to describe in detail how in modern time witches perform the carnal act with incubus devils. End quote. So I also have a book called Compendium Maleficarum, which is very similar. It's another witch hunting book. Um, but the Malice Maleficarum was written by these two German monks. And it literally means the witch's hammer. And it was anti-witchery. And this is really where a lot of hysteria started to rise. But then we have King James uh, the first. Well, he had a bride that named Anne. And they were crossing the North Sea. And a storm hit. And she did not survive the storm. And... From my understanding, he was just so heartbroken that he needed something to blame. And, and at that time in Scotland, people were all already blaming witches for, you know, killing of livestock, any kind of illness that happened, any weird thing, any storm was, the, it's a witch. A witch did it. They conspired. They hung out with the demons and they made this happen. And so he then wrote Daemonology, which is really short, but it's incredibly intense and, and it's appalling. Both of them are. And there was some witch hunters that really took to it and just started mass murdering mm -hmm. people. I mean, there was definitely a handful of men that were murdered. It's, it's not just a crime against women, but women were the ones that were pointed at. And one thing, if, if anyone's an Outlander nerd, Galus Duncan is a witch in the show. And her character is actually based on... Um, when King James released the demonology, they called it the first great panic. And this was basically the hysteria and the craze, craze over finding all the witches and burning them and getting rid of them. And, you know, who's a witch and who's not. And they were traveling all over to do this. And that was the first great panic. Galus Duncan was a part of that. She was a witch in the first great panic. So I always find that like when I was watching Outlander, I was like, wait, I know this name. Yeah, totally. And I realized that she was, uh, she's a real character from the past. People were making up these bogus stories mm -hmm. while the witches were on trial mm -hmm. just to get them killed. And right. there's accounts of teenagers standing up and saying, they stole the children and boiled them and ate the, the meat and then buried the bones in the earth. And, mm -hmm. and then that, you know, of course, becomes like part of the folklore. And right, like Hansel and Gretel, that exactly, sort of thing. Exactly, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, all these, all these modern day ideals about witches mm -hmm. stem from something. Right. But somehow manage to completely erase the fact that witches care for the earth in a way that not a lot of people do. So you mentioned children being eaten, and that's one of those stereotypes that we think about witches. Uh, but there's also the stereotype of the broomstick, which I found really fascinating. Actually, I don't know if you remember last year when I, I was looking for like a nice, pretty wooden broom to keep in my house because I don't have any storage. And I was like, why are these broomsticks so expensive? Because they're like hundreds of dollars. And, and I remember you typing like, oh, it's because of witchcraft. And I was like, oh, duh. Like I didn't think of it. <laughs> you were looking at these really nicely hand-carved wooden broomsticks and it, there's a whole world out there of witch tools and 
broomsticks are i mean when witches use them we don't touch the ground with them Mm -hmm. but we do sweep the air and clean the space they can also be placed by the front door and help keep spirits out i actually did run across that i also so when i was doing the research on the broomstick like why the broomstick it was an item formerly representative of domesticity and actually came to be viewed as a sexual object that could be used at the witch's discretion obviously, you know, from these men. So just hear me out, okay? So. (laughs) Famous statement, from these men. (laughs) So what they said was, if the devil was not around or no man was present, it was taught that these witches could still fulfill themselves sexually with this object. They were said to apply ointment, an ointment with possible psychoactive properties from the plants that they used. So they would put this ointment upon the broomstick and in their intimate areas, it literally says in their hairy areas, um, and they could write it through the night. And as we know, nothing is scarier to the patriarchy than a woman who does not need a man to fulfill her sexual desires. Oh my goodness. This is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. And, uh, this might be one of the only store, like old, old fake news story mm-hmm. of a witch that I am currently slightly appreciating. <laughs> that particular imagery is to me sums up what's going on here. That really the issue is a woman who doesn't need a man, doesn't need, you know, his money, his property, his oversight, his, she is to be feared. I just kind of want to speak to how the patriarchy is a really large blanket for, a, a, it's a big statement and it, it does exist. It still exists. I know many men who don't want to be labeled the patriarchy, who want nothing to do with it, who are fighting against it, who are speaking out against it. But I, I still invite all men to, to question, how, how are you contributing? Mm-hmm. Because we're raised with these ways of being that are natural. How do I say this? Who, that naturally act as a patriarchy. And I think we really have to stop and question all of these actions so that we're not adding to the oppression of gender i mean that's such a big conversation in and of itself but a woman just being a woman and being independent should not be scary yeah and it should mm-hmm. not mean that they need to be hunted and no. burned yeah. and mm-hmm. drowned um there was a an awesome article in um boston review on on their website and uh, it said this i'm quoting most striking in the Malice Maleficarum is the flat-out, unblinking misogyny in which the entire work is drenched. Women are described as feebler in mind, more prone to deceit and vanity, and with a well-known carnal lust that is insatiable. End quote. Thousands in Europe were accused of practicing witchcraft or sorcery. The accused were often tortured into admitting confessions, which really is not a confession, as we know. Under duress, they would admit to the sorts of deeds outlined in the witch-hunting texts. They were stripped naked and searched for an extra nipple or a third teat, possibly located in the vagina from which they were said to nurse their animal familiar. Familiars, possibly borrowed from other mythologies, were animals that were reported to go about doing the witch's bidding, hence the idea of the black cat. And familiars are actually the supernatural guide of the witch Mm. um they 
at least that's how we look at it now as as witches but Mm -hmm. there is actually a book on familiars there's probably more than one but it it does talk about that they're supernatural guides that uh, protect and help the witches in their in their walk well and there are supernatural guides in other like animal supernatural guides in other you know um religious practices and i just find it of course they would find a way to take this aspect and turn it into something dark and evil and something that we need to fear and that we need to put people to death for i mean i'm sure there's some satan worshipers somewhere in the world Mm -hmm. and who knows like probably people who love putting hexes on people i don't know but well i think as with anything you can turn it for harm but i don't think it's intrinsic to the practice do you know do you know what i mean like oh yeah uh okay so we gotta catch up with where we are in history (laughs) right oh right between the years 1500 and 1660, and this is the thing I do not want to lose sight of, up to 80,000 suspected witches were put to death in Europe. Though some were men, the majority were women who were said to be in cahoots with the devil. Turning to colonial America, of course, we had the Salem witch trials. In Puritan religion, this was not too far of a leap. Women were thought to be fallen, the first to have sinned in the Garden of Eden, and therefore prone to be susceptible to the devil and his temptations. Again, it was women who did not conform to the norms of society who were more likely to be the target of an accusation, especially those who were unmarried or did not have children. As we discussed before, this was seen as something that was a transgression against divine order. Which is just wild to me because something of nature, like not everyone can physically have a child. Mm -hmm. And there's so many things that go wrong. I mean, I listened to a podcast that recently had an episode on um, just really old thought medicine, thoughts on medicine Mm -hmm. and bodies and things that were going on. And they used to think that the uterus was a octopus inside the body and would (laughs) roam around (laughs) and if a woman had a sore throat they thought the uterus was up there tickling the sore throat and they would like either put like a good smelling thing under the vagina to coerce it back down or they would have the women drink a disgusting flavor to get it away from the throat like this is insane and that is very like that speaks more to the patriarchy to me because i'm like really (laughs) Like, we're an alien in an alien. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Essentially, yes. <laughs> Although sometimes it does feel like that. <laughs> I can agree. But still, I mean, that is just bonkers. That is, that's nuts. So as a result of the Salem witch trials, more than 200 people were accused. 14 women and five men were executed by hanging. One other man was pressed to death and a number of others died in jail. And this is where you can see how ridiculous these sorts of things were. Some of the strategies used to determine if people were guilty of witchcraft or not were just as I like the word you said bonkers as the accusations themselves. After being accused of killing a neighbor's pigs and hexing their cotton, one woman was tied up and thrown into a river. People said that if she sank, she was innocent. But if she floated, she was a witch. So she oh, it was lose-lose either way for her, right? She floated and was convicted of being a witch and sentenced to eight years in prison. I li- That part of how they, you know, checked if you were a witch like terrifying they also tied some of the people underwater uh, it's to prove a point it's mm-hmm. just it's so terrifying there's a part of me that's wakes up and is like wow what a time to be alive mm-hmm. but also feeling the 
deep heaviness of everything that came before us. I want to grapple with these things and it's still hard, you know, but it's necessary work and we all have to do our part to change the general collective conscious around this sort of thing. Totally. I think it's important to grapple with Christianity, for mm. instance. It's a huge part of the witch trials. Mm. Huge mm. part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, many Christians I know today have no idea. They mm-hmm. don't know the history. Mm-hmm. They don't know how it played a part. I think grappling with it is where you get the wisdom and the knowledge and the education of understanding this stuff deeper as you look back at like the salem witch trials for instance there were more rational minds that did eventually take over and there were laws that did come into effect to help prevent these sorts of things but it still happened i mean you even mentioned there are witch hunts happening in the world today so this sort of thing is still going on there's still a lot of oppression Mm -hmm. is is really the easiest way to say it and the last account of a witch being burned was early 2000s in Europe. Oh, and gosh. they burned her whole house. Well, I was, I actually ran across um, that there were, there are still witch hunts happening like in Africa. That's something that still happens. Yeah. And the witchcraft in Africa mm-hmm. is um, so deep. I mean, that that's some really long lineage. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's definitely still happening. I mean, right. people still have a lot of stigmas. They still don't understand. Mm. People are scared of, yeah. of the term witch. They don't right. understand it. And um, we brought up that between the years of 1500 and 1660, there was up to 80,000 put to mm-hmm. death. But the total number is well over 200,000. And that's only that was documented. It's really, it's so deeply heartbreaking. It like actually hurts me. And again, that's why we're here. We have a responsibility that if we do know about it to, to talk about it and to prevent something like this from happening again. In recent times, it does seem that there's been a reawakening to pagan practices. Many of us have heard the term Wicca. Wicca comes from the old English word meaning witch. Um, Now, I was wondering if you could just clarify for us Wicca, witches, like you were saying before, not all witches are Wiccans, that sort of thing. Yeah, so Wicca is a religion. Not all People who identify as Wiccan practice witchcraft, but I do, and I, I, I'm not Wiccan, so I can't fully speak to, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the Wiccan religion, but mm-hmm. <clears throat> I will say that I do know a lot of them do practice witchcraft and take that very seriously, but it is a place where people can belong together in community and worship and, and do ceremony together. So witches... There's so many different types of witches. I mean, I don't even have the full list now that we've come up with so many different styles. But some witches work with nature. Some are just herbalists. Mm -hmm. And some um, are really into divination. And so they read tarot and rune stones. And, you know, I don't know as much about paganism as I'd like to know. But I do know that it stems from the Latin pagani. It means people who live in the country. Basically, pagans practice and have different like seasonal worship times Mm -hmm. that's different than you know the main religions so Mm -hmm. like Samhain is a pagan Mm -hmm. holiday it's like the new year for the witch generally we know Halloween that but right said it's called Samhain Samhain. which it's spelled Mm -hmm. S-A-M 
H-A-I-N. So Ooh. a lot of people say Sam Hain, but it's Sawain. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so there, there is a there is a pagan um, calendar that goes over all this stuff. It's really nature focused. So pagans really care about nature. Like, I mean, and I, I've, I have very clear memories in my mind of Christians telling me that pagans are devil worshipers. And, mm-hmm. and there has been so much um, appropriation of you know these holidays even the trinity like the trinity in christianity comes mm. from egypt there's oh so God, many appropriations yeah. and i also want to say that if you know whoever's listening to this podcast i don't know but it's very possible that i have said something wrong you know i'll be the first one to be like yes tell sure. me if i'm wrong if you want to reach out to me after this podcast whoever's listening if you want to talk more but anyways 21st century has brought witches into this like wild place of almost anyone's a witch now Mm -hmm. and and their eclectic witch has been something that people have like kind of clung on to when they don't really know where their place is in in the witch world they're not they're not quite a tarot reader Mm -hmm. but they they're not really seeing spirits or Mm -hmm. dealing with the unseen a lot of witches do practice pagan practices so they all kind of cross over well and i think that my sort of point here with all of this is that witches wiccans pagans that there's this real sort of fear that's built up around those words and what we have perceived those things to be when in reality there can be for for a lot of those who practice a really gorgeous focus on the natural world and the earth and caring for the earth and you know a lot of these um, people who adhere to these practices are often people who are politically active or care about environmental issues and I think that that's the thing that to me I can look at and see the humanity oh humans who are seeing other humans and and this this planet on which we live and are taking care of it. And that's something I wish more people did. I, I wish that that was the first thing we thought about when we hear the word witch, witchcraft, Wicca. I wish that was what we thought of before I mean, the fear or the stereotypes. Yes. I, I, they're all nature-based. Mm-hmm. Um, Wicca, pagan, which I mean, just the, you know, what pagan means alone, which, right. I, which I stated earlier, yeah, is yeah. like when we actually break it down, we've turned them into monsters um, and they're not like none, none of these are. Mm-hmm. I'm sh- Obviously, there's always negative people and mm-hmm. people ruining the show left and right. Right, but right. <laughs> for the most part, um, for me and for many witches, you know, it's it's a practice of truly understanding nature on Mm. on, in a in a way that we're not understanding just walking around the practice of witchcraft is so special because I get to really really tap into the spirit of the plant Mm -hmm. and some people might be thinking that's crazy you can't do that Mm -hmm. I promise you science says you can plants are so alive and Mm -hmm. and it allows us to love and and cherish and want to respect nature in such a deeper way and there's some community witches that I follow, and community witches. Um, th- what I mean by that is, they are literally a witch to better the community. That's beautiful to me. That's like caring for humanity, whether mm. you know the person or not. So before we turn back to Mendelssohn, 
German art yes, song. Yes, <laughs> let's get on to music. Enough um, of this witchy stuff. Well, I was going to say, is there anything that you'd like to say kind of in closing about, you know, just anything we've been talking about? There's been history. There's been practice. There's been, you know, a lot wrapped up in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, this is a real, I'm really passionate about this topic. And as I, I keep notes and read lots of books on it, but um, I'm happy to have a conversation with anybody. And I think my biggest wish and maybe it's a spell is that we all slow down and, and, and learn this stuff. And, and this isn't the only crime against humanity to learn about. And this is one of the big ones that have happened to mass amounts of women. I feel like it's our duty to learn this stuff and know that it happened. Mm -hmm. And how can we educate and have conversations with people now about it? It's still so misconstrued, misunderstood. I had a friend, it was, this was like six months ago, who saw something in my car and was like, wait, are you a witch? And and I looked at him and I was like, yeah, are you surprised? <laughs> and he was like, witches still exist? It just showed me that he, he had no idea what a witch is, one. Right. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we are still around, like if anything, it's actually become kind of a popular thing to be a witch. I've kind of tripped out on that part of it, but I'm not going to speak to that on this podcast okay. <laughs> um but yeah and i i'm i'm hoping i i kind of want to start a youtube channel maybe a podcast i don't know yet on on uh on educating on this stuff mm -hmm. and just talking about practices and the history um i haven't started it yet so i can't really tell you about it but if you connect with me you can be in the know i'll have your like uh, instagram handle in the program notes or the show notes and um yeah make sure to do that so that if people do want to find you do want to reach out um and that's so awesome that you are also making yourself available and you know offering that um you know we'll we'll have that available for people to reach out to you witches and witchcraft and all this has been a really you know a, a topic throughout literature and music and art and all of this stuff so the world of leader has not been untouched by these stereotypes and you know this sort of witchy type trope in 1828, Mendelssohn composed his song Andres Mayenlied, Hexenlied, which translates another May song, witch song. Fiery and fierce, this song has been a favorite of mine since the very first time I heard it. Let me read you the translation. So this text is by Hulti, and this um, translation is by Richard Stokes. I did not do this translation myself. I was being a little bit lazy if I'm being perfectly honest <laughs> swallows are flying springs triumphant dispensing flowers for wreaths soon we'll flit quietly outside and fly to the splendid dance a black goat a broomstick the furnace rake the distaff whisk us on our way like lightning and wind through whistling gales to the brocken our coven dances round Beelzebub and kisses his claw-like hands a ghostly throng seizes our arms, waving firebrands as they dance. And Beelzebub pledges the throng of dancers gift after gift. They shall be dressed in beautiful silk and dig themselves pots full of gold. A fiery dragon flies round the roof and brings us butter and eggs. The neighbors catch sight of the flying sparks and cross themselves for fear of the fire. Swallows are flying, springs triumphant, flowers are blooming for wreaths. Soon we'll flit quietly outside, tally-ho to the splendid dance. 
Let's get into it. We see a lot of the stereotypical things society generally expects when witches are involved. The goat represents the devil, there are broomsticks, ghosts, wild dancing through the night, and Beelzebub himself. We might think that this is descriptive of a Halloween-type night. But in Germany, there is another spooky time of the year, and it's called Walpurgisnacht. Walpurgisnacht lasts from April 30th to May 1st every year. Originally, this day was a pagan celebration of fertility rites and the coming of spring. The day eventually was absorbed by the Catholic Church and became a celebration of the Saint Walpurgis. It was a bit of a fortunate occurrence when this happened, though, because it meant people could celebrate the day without fear of being accused of being a witch. No one knew for sure whether they were celebrating Walpurgisnacht or the original pagan rites. In the text, you'll notice that there is a mention of the Brocken. The Brocken is the highest peak in the Hartz Mountains of northern Germany. Long known for its craggy heights, the Brocken is noted for its phenomenon of the Brocken Spectre. And this is a magnified shadow of an observer. Observer? <laughs> it's, a mag <laughs> it's a magnified shadow of an observer, typically surrounded by rainbow-like bands, thrown onto a bank of clouds in high mountain areas when the sun is low. So the observer themselves is creating the specter, but they'll look because they're between this, the clouds and the sun and they'll look and they think that they see this ghost-like thing when really it's just their own shadow. Before this phenomenon was understood, it was thought to be evidence of the ghostly inhabitants on the mountain. So here's the thing that I enjoy about this text is that, and I'm, I don't know if this was the original intention, but, you know, there's all this fear whipped up around there's dragons and the devil and the dancing and the fire and but in the end it sounds to me like they're baking a cake there's a lot of talk like oh women doing these things but actually no they're cooking I just find that <laughs> interesting thing in this text that oh wait they're probably just making a cake and brings us butter and eggs right <laughs> Yeah, I mean, not only that, but like, honestly, like reading this text, it literally sounds, sounds like the most fun party and I want to be there. <laughs> it totally like, does, right? <laughs> I want to dance with ghosts. Yeah. Like, I mean, and like how it's, you know, talking about like this, the flying sparks and the fires there. <laughs> it's Flowers are blooming for wreaths. Right. Like, waving things as you dance. <laughs> sounds fantastic. Sounds like a festival. <laughs> right. It totally does. It totally does. So, um. We're actually going to take a listen to it. What are we going to listen to? So what you're about to hear is my friend Sean Dicker. She's a soprano. Um, she's going to be singing along with my accompaniment of Mendelssohn's Hexenlied. She was kind enough to record herself singing this long distance. I recorded the accompaniment, sent it to her, and she recorded herself singing with it. So that's what you're about to hear. Oh, 
definitely has like a spooky undertone to it and I loved every minute of that (laughs) I'm so glad I think you know it takes all those elements it takes all those stereotypes puts them into almost comic proportions so I think if it's if it's viewed that way it can almost be helpful and put things into context right from the beginning you hear the broomsticks in the air and you you see the fiery dance and it's so virtuosic you can hear the sparks flying and it's so evocative of what it's talking about and and now that i've done all this research i think i i come at it from a a different place that (laughs) i really appreciate (laughs) totally yeah and it's important to remember that stories aren't always reality that but that I mean that is a really fun song and I think that that song so explosive at moments and then so like creepy at other times right yeah that was great Chelsea thank you so much for being here today I can't tell you how happy it made me when I reached out and you were just totally in the whole way you were here for it you brought your stack of books no one has ever brought a stack of books to the podcast I'm usually one with the stacks of books so am I gonna say you're my favorite guest mate I've had Brian Sickich on this podcast (laughs) I think you might have him beat (laughs) that's amazing I loved being on here thank you for having me I think that about wraps it up for us today remember that follow the leader can be found in all the usual places like Apple Podcasts Spotify and Stitcher please if you like what you hear leave a review it really helps boost the podcast visibility and helps other leader lovers find our work if you want to sing Mendelssohn's Hexen lead with me you can find me on YouTube as Mandy Majority Click on the Leader Accompaniments playlist and Hex and Leet is there. In addition, you can follow me on Instagram at LeaderNerd. That's at L-I-E-D-E-R-N-E-R-D. See you next time. Done. We crushed it.
If you love this podcast, then you'll love the Song Cycle podcast, also by Cincinnati Song Initiative. Song Cycle introduces the coolest and awesomest leaders of the song world today and dives into getting to know them and their unique stories, where they think song in the 21st century is headed, and lots of other great topics. If you're looking for your next source of inspiration as you continue on your own musical journey as a song lover, look no further than Song Cycle with me, your host, Sam Martin. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and join the conversation.